Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. All right, welcome to our podcast, Med Family. I'm your host, Eric Acker. I think by this point, you probably get to understand the the situation. I have yet to figure out my remote in audio for my wife, Karen, so I am doing this again solo, and of course I do have other audio for uh, other podcasts or other episodes I have recorded, my special episodes, but I have yet to do all the editing on those, so here I am a day late and trying to record something for you guys so that you guys get kind of another update and kind of see how the uh, the fourth year medical school life is and what, what really amounts to that fourth year electives so day late here we go we're gonna give it a shot we're gonna try to keep this one short and i know that we keep saying that every every week uh, we want to do short short sweet you know and uh there's a lot of functionality to that a i want you know you as the audience member to get as much information as you need without having to listen to an hour-long monologue by me uh I don't really want to hear my own voice for an hour or two hours as, as usually when I edit these things. It takes me about twice as long as the episode is to do the edits. And see, um, I also want to get some sleep. I think that's the maybe the biggest punchline to this whole rotation and this whole situation is that I am not getting nearly enough sleep and tend to be working pretty long days and finding that I am falling asleep at inopportune times. <laughs> uh, like I'm usually up on my feet doing rounds, doing things, seeing patients. And then when we sit down for that morning report and we sit down for the didactics, um, eating, I just ate my lunch and suddenly my body goes, hey, you should go to sleep right now. And which is really not opportune, especially when people in the program are going to be watching you and going, what is this? guy he's got narcolepsy or something what's the deal and uh so yeah not not great so i'm trying i'm trying to maybe keep this short and sweet so i can get to some sleep tonight because i still actually have uh, a presentation to work on as well so i have some homework on top of everything else but i do want to get this out to you guys and give you guys as much of an update as i can so um as I think I might have mentioned last week, I'm, of course, doing a sub-eye rotation in Northeast Georgia in the internal medicine program. It is a great uh, experience. I am learning quite a bit. I'm learning what you know, even four weeks of the life of an intern is, which is essentially the PGY-1, first-year resident. And basically, at least as far as what this program how uh, treats their interns or has has their interns working and it's just a lot of work it's um i think really the programs uh want you to become more efficient and uh, so that's what essentially what i've been trying to focus in on from last week to this week is increasing increasing efficiency completing my notes faster a little bit more accurate and then taking on more patients and then updating the hospital course uh, uh, information because the hospital course information 
goes into the patient's discharge is kind of the, these are the problems we worked on. And this is essentially what we did to help treat you. And here's where you leave the hospital at. This is the point you leave the hospital at. So it's a generally a good thing to do. It's a one, one of the few things that you can type up, at least on this rotation, that might make a difference on uh, the team, per se. I mean, there's things you can do when you interview the patient. You provide extra information that the, maybe the residents did not get. Uh, or make phone calls for them, or make run errands with them, and whatnot. But generally, this is the this is a, a section that you provide probably the most tangible help to the residents, especially the interns who are just like you, trying to struggle to get that efficiency down, and so they can go home at a reasonable hour, as you want to go home at a reasonable hour. Uh, that is also to say, on top of everything else, you <laughs> for me this week, I'm. Uh, I'm trying to take on about six patients, and I think today I, I tapped into seven, but then I had to back off to the six because uh, I just didn't have enough time to pre-round on all seven of them. So again, that's a function of not enough sleep, didn't get to the hospital early enough, <laughs> didn't, didn't get the pre-rounding done quick enough, and so limited time. So I got to my, my six uh, and we got my note, got the notes done at a pretty reasonable hour tonight. So all in all, not too bad. Uh, but along the way, you also have attending. So last week I had the associate program director <laughs> that was our, our, uh, attending for our G1 group. And he's, he was a great guy. He's uh, very knowledgeable, very on his game. Um, I like both my attendings I've had so far, so no complaints there. Um, but of course, it's a little more extra, a little extra nerve-wracking when it's not just a faculty member who probably pays a, you know, the, the, the attending I have this week and I had the first week is probably on somewhere on the admissions committee, possibly. But uh, the associate dean is uh, obviously a bit uh, higher up the food chain as far as that's concerned. So it was a little bit nerve-wracking to try to try to impress him, try to be on your game, try to be on the ball. And of course, um, inevitably, <laughs> you would uh, you would be working on all these things. I would be working, and then there'd be one day where it's like time caught up with you. You're just not as I'm just not as fast, or I'm I'm just off my game that day. And that's the day they start asking questions. That's the day, you know, all week you've been being very diligent you've looked up your assessment and plans and you have a pretty good idea of what the treatment plans are going to be and that day you got a couple new admits that you're taking on and you really haven't had enough time to really look up <laughs> the assessments and plans or i mean or it's stuff, stuff that you actually should know or you already do know but you're just uh, in this case i was just so tired that I started getting, I got asked a bunch of questions about GI bleed, and that's bread and butter stuff for step two, bread and butter, you know. Someone's got a GI bleed, what do you do? What's the first thing you should do? You should start two large bore IVs. <laughs> and of course, sometimes the question gets asked really weirdly. I think he asked me, like, on a nursing level, what would you tell the nurses, at least you know, what they should do? And I'm just like, I've seen this patient what what else have we not done on this patient that I would tell the nursing staff to do? And I'm like, IV didn't dawn on me because I knew the patient had IVs on him. But, you know, that's that was what, what he was looking for. <laughs> so I did not get that question quite correct. And then 
going through the whole, okay, what if you, they're coughing up blood, what are the possibilities, and what's the cause of, okay, if you have varices, what's the cause of the varices, and how would you treat that, and kind of going down that list and down that pathway. Um, so I, I struggled. I, I got I could answer some of it, but I was definitely looking at the residents and the interns and being like, hey, <laughs> can someone throw me a bone here? I'm just drowning. So... Uh, I've had that now, I think, twice, not with the same attending, but it just seems like on the most inopportune day when you are the least prepared, that is when you're going to get asked questions. So I am trying to stay on it. I'm trying to make some adjustments to be a little bit more on the ball. I don't think I sunk my chances at matching at such programs like this one, but certainly don't help yourself when you can't really impress the attending but again, um, I, I am making pretty good inroads with the interns and the residents. I, I really do enjoy working with them. They are all pretty great people. They don't seem to hate having me around, so that's always good. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but it, again, I, I do. it's really tricky, because uh, especially in internal medicine, and I think to a large degree, family medicine gets this as well, that... There are some people who will probably say you don't absolutely have to do an away rotation. You don't have to do a sub-I with a program to match. And I think that's probably accurate. And not having gone through the match, uh, sounds about right. Uh, I think uh, that, that information is probably not inaccurate. But I do think what this does allow you to see is how a program behaves. And then, of course, obviously those residents in that program have friends from medical school who went to other programs, and they tend to talk about how this program compares to their friends' programs. And then, of course, you get to kind of watch and interact with them, and then you can kind of start going, okay, well, this is how a program works, so now you might have better questions. You might have better understanding of what might be expected of you when you get into a residency, or maybe what some things that you actually might want to look for. And then uh, one of the things I, I've been noticing, and of course you're, you're still evaluating to some extent in that particular program because ideally you didn't want to do a sub-I at a location you weren't planning on applying to. So <laughs> ideally you are evaluating that program because you're hoping somewhere, at least for me, I'm hoping that there's a chance I might match at this program. So I want to get a really good look at it and put a really my best foot forward as best as I can at this point. And maybe they will rank me higher. They will give me an interview, you know, whatever it is. But at the same time, I have to be evaluating them. Like, do I want to spend the next three years of my life at this program doing this work? And or what what would I what should I expect? And so one of the things I've, I've kind of noticed is um, leadership. And this is kind of a maybe something you don't think about, but at least as far as this program goes, I think I talked a little bit about it last week about how I basically decided that certain programs I would probably not apply to if it was their inaugural program. And I think for some people that's really exciting and they would do it. I we've had Seth Elu on the program. And I believe he got into an emergency medicine program that was its first year. So, <laughs> and he doesn't seem to be unhappy at all. And I'm not saying like you would be automatically unhappy with a first year program. 
I'm just saying I don't think I if I was going to do internal medicine on a program that is built anywhere similarly to this one, I would probably not want to be in the inaugural class because I can definitely tell how certain rotations, especially the MTS, this is the only one I have experience with, the in, uh, internal medicine services, where you're on the, on the floor of the hospital taking rapids and doing all sorts of things, I can see how having upperclassmen help you, or people who are second or third year residents, how they can help you grow as a student. And I think one of the things I, I people don't maybe pay attention to is that you're going to lean pretty heavily to some degree on your senior residents. You're going to have an attending who's going to, this is there to help teach you, but that's, that's only one person. So you kind of use your senior residents to help you learn as well. And one of the things I've kind of noticed, um, they all have different styles. So uh, there's uh, two that I've kind of essentially identified or at least defined in my mind. Uh, you have the the team player who he's there to build the team. He's part of the team. He wants the team to be successful. He wants the, He wants you to get home at a reasonable hour. So he's pulling a lot of weight. And then there's the, hey, the growth one, the, the, the one that when they started, they didn't have a senior that helped them at all. And they grew a lot and it was really good for them. So it was uh, growth through pain in a way. So that senior doesn't tend to do as much work because they want you to do the work as the intern. They want you to learn how to manage your time and become more efficient because that's how they learned and it worked out okay for them. So sometimes just kind of being recognizing what kind of leaders you're going to have. And again, even in this program, I've seen at least two types. If not, maybe there's going to be a third type I'm going to see. So having second or third year residents around can be very helpful or can make your life a little harder. Like I think one group I've, I've heard or listened to, their senior didn't help them with a presentation and it was very tricky for them to juggle seeing all the patients, doing the orders, doing the notes, doing the discharge summaries, getting home late. And I think one of them took their day off and worked on the presentation. So instead of having one day off a week, they basically did seven days on, did work on the presentation and had to present it during one of the uh, didactic sessions, which it was like 30 minutes or something. It wasn't like a, an incredible in-depth presentation, but at the same time, it's, it's work, obviously, and having your senior resident help out could have maybe lessened the load, but that's not how that senior resident was going to do things, so that's just the way things worked out. Um, so that's something to kind of keep in mind and look at is uh, programs are going to have second and third years, and sometimes having that experience in the program, you kind of maybe can pick out what the culture is. If it's more of one thing versus the other, if it's more... If you like the team building, you like the teamwork aspect, where you maybe maybe you get a little bit robbed of the learning opportunities and the growth through uh, adversity, then you know maybe you, I don't know. I think it's just something that you look at. Maybe that's a question you can come up with for asking the programs of uh, what they encourage, how much teaching is done by the second and, and third years, and then having exposure to the program might give you a better idea of what to expect. Anyway, that's just just a thought I had 
kind of running through. And again, I'm ha- been having a pretty good week. It's uh, it's uh, it's again the process. I'm not gonna be a dead horse here, but generally speaking, wake up at four, four thirty, get dressed, go to the hospital. Um, I get I try to get there by five thirty. Sometimes between five thirty and six. You start doing your pre-charting. You start looking over the patients that you, you know, because you have 15 on the team and you have to, as a fourth year, they kind of expect you to pick, pick, or your senior will assign patients to you. If as an intern, you are automatically assigned patients, so you don't get a choice. You just get what you get. But as a sub I fourth year medical student, there's an expectation that as you have patients who become uh, maybe a little less interesting, quote and unquote, like they they no longer have an interesting presentation. Now they're just waiting for a placement into a nursing home. They expect you to kind of drop those patients and move on to a more interesting, one of the newer ones or something. So something to also keep in mind that you got to keep kind of moving and you can't just get comfortable and be like, oh, yeah, the patient's doing the same as he was yesterday. We're just waiting for placement. And that's my presentation. Like they actually expect you to continue to, churn out patients um so uh, i try to get there about five thirty-six. look at look at the patients see any of the new ones come up that are interesting that i want to pick up and then um we do of course handoff at seven there's like a morning huddle which is kind of a six sigma lean process sort of thing it's supposed to kind of get the whole team on the same page it's not uh, if I had a, a critique about the morning huddle, I, I did one when I worked at the Vancouver Clinic. This one doesn't run as smoothly. I think it runs smoothly, quote unquote, it, as much as it's a ritual that they un, they go through. <laughs> um, but I'm used to morning huddles that have like metrics and data that you can go over. People can see that is you know something that's being measured that you can impact that means something to your day to day. Whereas some of this stuff is just kind of like, oh, anyone have any new methods? And they kind of run through things really quick because nobody really has anything to add. So sometimes if you create something that <laughs> means something to the day-to-day, then anyway, it, it sometimes feels very much more real uh, ritualistic than it is productive. That's, again, a critique. I've seen it work really well. I've seen it work not so well. Anyway. Um, we do morning huddle at 7.20, 7.15. And then we we do a pre-rounding on the patients all by yourself. So I, if I have six, seven patients, I go out to the hospital. I might print it, finish any pre-charting I haven't done already. And then I go out to the hospital and see my patients. And it's been a, it's been a great experience. A lot of really interesting patients, a lot of really sweet people, some grumpy people. You know, at 7 a.m. in the morning, I would be pretty grumpy too if someone just hit the lights on me. But... Um, it's been pretty cool because they let you come in, you talk to them, and you get you do this in third year as well. But maybe by fourth year, you feel a little bit more confident, and you're doing a lot better. But you chat with them, get an update, do a physical exam. Maybe you go over some of the information you have with them. You know, don't don't shoot yourself in the foot and promise things that you you can't deliver. But I've I've gone over the, with the patients like, hey, we got you in here for hypotolemia. And yesterday it was like 6.1, but, you know, we didn't see any arrhythmias on your ECG, so we're just going to keep monitoring you. We put you on k which I think there's a new medication now that is does the same kind of job as k does. We put you on insulin and sodium bicarbonate 
and we're running ECGs just to make sure you don't have a peak T wave that's going to eventually stretch out and become a, an arrhythmia. And down now today you're down to a 4.1. So you, we're doing good today. Something like that. Like having those kind of conversations with the patients. Uh, it's always kind of fun. Um, and then, of course, you're working as a team. So you're, at the end, you're kind of boosting, you know, any questions. Okay, well, so there's probably going to be another resident that comes by. So if you have any questions, talk to them. The whole team's going to be by a little bit later, too. And so, anyway, it's a lot of fun. Um, kind of get lost a little bit in the giant hospital. Try to ask staff, like, oh, where do I need to, If I want to go to the North Tower, how do I get there from here? And most people will help you out. Um so, <laughs> sorry, so you do that, you meet with your team about 9 o'clock, and uh, they do, you do, depending on your team, like some people do table rounds, you just chat around the table about each patient. Uh, my So far, the teams I've been on have done walking rounds, where you go t- walk over near where the patient's staying, you talk about it, then you go in and talk to the patient, and then you walk to the next patient, those sort of things. So, those are actually pretty interesting. I spent um, a good amount of time, because we do long call, and it's been really busy at this hospital where patients, there's like not enough rooms. So a lot of patients kind of get stuck in the ED for a little while, but they are admitted. And that's kind of cool. But I don't know, it's one of those things you kind of, you see and you're like, man, I would really prefer an ED that didn't look like this or didn't function like this. And I, I get it. It's not necessarily the ED's fault. It's the situation. The ED is really old. It's not as big as it needs to be. They are building a new one. And in the end of the day, it's just like they need to get patients in, admitted, and treated. And because obviously, if a patient's relatively sick, <laughs> and they can't they can't spend nine hours in the parking lot waiting for their turn um, for you know a, an official room. So sometimes they will be in a bed in the hallway, and I just absolutely kind of hate that for some of these patients because it's like it's the worst time of your life for <laughs> some of these patients. Like some of these patients are like altered mental status and. They're obviously like just not with it. They're trying to use the urinal in the middle of the hallway, which in urinal as in like a like a little I don't know, kind of like a gallon thing. It's shaped a little weird so that you can pee into it, <laughs> not to be too grotesque or anything. But it's like you know, these people are like not. This is not totally with it, and they're like trying to scoot the pants down in the middle of the hallway while stretchers and staff are all walking around, and they're trying to pee into this this urinal and they have no hand-eye coordination and it's just just a mess. (laughs) I really do not like the ED at this particular hospital, but like I said, they're building a new one. It's not necessarily the ED's fault. They're trying to be flexible for what the, the hospital is and what the demand is. And sometimes it's just not the best and not the, the ideal. And of course, some patients take some major exception to that and get very disgruntled. Like, when am I going to get out of this area? Or when am I going to get a room? And it's like, I get it. I get it. Um, I know I'm going off a little bit of a sidetrack here, but there's one thing I keep noticing and I always want to harp on a little bit. It's one of those things where, and this may be a half-baked idea, so bear with me on this one, but... Uh, a lot of it comes a point where you get some patients who are incredibly um, old or frail, and or both, um, and you have to make a decision to try to. You know, obviously, patients can't stay in the hospital forever unless they're going to, you know, pass away. In which case, they'll stay there until they pass away. 
but you know, obviously we can't take a patient in that was frail and sick, get them back to a relatively decent, healthy. We don't, we don't bring people all the way. I mean, it doesn't seem like the hospital takes people from gravely ill back to being able to run on the football field, you know, next, you know, next week. We don't necessarily do that from step A to all the way step Z, you know, like there's, there's a few steps along the way that maybe by step M, the patient is well enough to go somewhere else. They do not need to be in a hospital. And it's really sad to kind of see the situation kind of play out where families either are unable to or unwilling to take a patient back home. And it seems like there's a lot of like kind of a cultural thing. I'm not really sure. I'm saying this is one of those half-baked ideas where the hospital is um, – a lot of the families will look at the hospital and say, the hospital needs to figure out what, what you're going to do with my dad. And it's like, we we got him back to a good spot. Like, he can walk, he can talk, he's not sick, he's not knocking on death's door. He just needs a little extra care. Someone needs to look after him a little bit, and maybe he'll get back to quote-unquote normal you know, as normal as you are at 75 years old with liver cancer or whatever it might be. Like, but you don't need to be in a hospital. Like, and, and it's not really good for people to be in a hospital long term because, you know, believe it or not, there are sick people there. There are germs there. And not to mention, like, you wake up in an unfamiliar environment. Often enough, you get delirium and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff happens. So, you know, it's not ideal to be hanging out in a hospital. And then there does seem to be this thing where families will not really be interested. I, it, I don't know. It's, it's a struggle. Maybe they go through kind of maybe a little bit of guilt, maybe a little bit of frustration, or they don't know what to do. And so a lot of times they look at the hospitalist or the doctors and the caseworkers and the nurses and they go, well, you figure it out. And it's like, well, we can't. You know, we can't do everything here. Like, you had to take kind of care of your family. Like, I know I have a family, and if any of them got sick, it's my job to take care of them. I, I guess I wouldn't – I'm not trying to pass judgment on these families. I, I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of context to it. But I think it's just something to kind of keep in the back of your mind that you don't want to – I would hate to have to put it on the hospital and all these – you know, a stranger to figure out – where to send grandma or my mom, my dad, or something like that. Like, I would rather be more proactive and be like, what's best for them? Where, where can I get the best care? Where can I, can I do it? Am I, is it capable? Can I sacrifice a little bit to help out my parents? You know, my parents, they birthed me, they wiped my butt for, I don't know, three years or however long it took me to get potty trained. Like, is this the least I can do is give them a few months or years of my life to get them back to moving around to towards maybe independence or, you know, just maybe make the last few months of their life a little bit more comfortable. I don't know. So again, half-baked idea going on here, but half-baked thought that it's very, something that kind of keeps reoccurring is patients who need a little bit of help, but they don't really have a family that's um, either willing or able, and then they kind of turn to the hospital and they blame the hospital for not being willing to keep the patient for months on end. And it's just a really weird spot to be in. Anywho, 
just again, those are some interesting experiences. And then again, I'm not trying to <laughs> keep going back over this, but like, I'm not trying to pass judgment. I know it's difficult, and um, to some degrees, like your life is you got your life kind of in order, and it's so hard to have something so disruptive that can upend everything about you. Maybe you have to work all these hours because you got to make ends meet because. You know, inflation's up there, can't afford certain things. You're trying to put your kids through school, whatever it is. Like, I get it. There's a lot of stressors. And then having, like, oh, grandma got sick and now she needs some help. And uh, how are we going to do this? It's, you know, nobody can, we can't spare any any income coming in at this point. So I don't know. I don't, I don't want to pass judgment. I know it's complicated, but it's something it's something worth keeping in the back of your brain that you maybe need to pay, pay attention to and plan for that possibility because all all of our parents are getting old <laughs> we're getting old <laughs> and so you know like we don't want to be kind of shoved off in the corner and forgotten about and we're going to eventually start losing our faculties and it's all kind of scary to me anyway i'm going to try to get back on track here and not keep this too long um so the other bits of what i'm working on and quote and unquote i'm working on but actually really karen is working on is our supplemental application we are trying to get the programs we are going to signal and try to figure out which ones we're going to signal and so start creating that list and then of course doing the eros side of things too so you we're going to hopefully drop that supplemental in two days i think the 16th is when it comes out uh, you need to send it out so when this gets posted it probably will be one day so that's something we're working on karen's working really hard and as she has a little bit of time, she kind of jumps on to match a resident. She goes on to Residency Explorer. We have a spreadsheet that we're working with. And she's been picking out programs in the states that we are going to signal and kind of highlighting them. And then we're going to kind of work together and pick out the programs we want to signal. And, of course, you know, not too far after we signal and drop this supplemental, we got to actually drop the main application because... I think it's like the 28th or the 30th of this month, and I should probably know this, the actual residency application drops. So we are in the heat of things, but on the bright side, all six of my letter writers have written their letters, and they are uploaded, and we are in business. So we don't we don't need to harass anyone else but ourselves about getting this stuff done. So that is that is kind of a nice, a nice thing, and I would definitely encourage... Um, I had definitely had some mentors and people like Matthew Barvo and Saf Elu who kind of helped me with this whole match process and what to look out for. And of course I leaned heavily on my, my, uh, peers in my class who were all going through the same thing. Like as we ran across like, Oh, did you know about this? No, I didn't know about this. How, how would you handle this? You know, these sort of things that kind of came up and we just worked them out as a group. Um, I think that's also very beneficial and it's one of the things I do like about this cohort and these this peer group is that generally speaking everyone wants each other to do well and so no one's there to sabotage each other or withhold information so I, I would definitely highly encourage you to try to get all this stuff done ahead of time because I can't imagine trying to put your finishing touches on your personal statement at this moment uh, and then starting to look at 200 programs that you might think about applying to and <laughs> trying to figure out how you're going to rank them or how you're going to drop, you know, which ones to actually apply to, which ones to kind of leave leave untouched and unmentioned. So 
uh, if you're getting close to that fourth year and you're getting close to that match, think definitely think about it. Um, definitely put some thought into getting that stuff done earlier as opposed to later. Um, it, some of it, it feels like a lot of writing, and it is, and it's kind of soul-crushing because you write something, you send it off to somebody, and they put some edits on it, and you think you're so close to being done. And there's always more edits you got to do. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you don't want to make grammatical errors. You don't want to make spelling errors. You don't want to make factual errors. You don't want to say something that you maybe clues the program in on something else that you don't want them to really be clued in on. Like let's say you're you're going to do two specialties. Like you're going to do family medicine and internal medicine or surgery and uh, urology or whatever it is like you don't want to have something on that application that's going to like signal to one program that you're applying to a different specialty like that's a red flag if like a program goes like well we want to be really your first choice and we don't really want to have backup plans out there like if you're going internal med be internal med <laughs> if you want to be surgeon be a surgeon but none of this both and sort of thing. But I mean, everyone does, there's a lot of people who do more than one specialty um, during match. So don't think you can't do that. Just, it just means you got to be more strategic. And anyway, I've been really blessed to have Karen do a lot of this leg work for me. And we try to talk at night and go over some things. And of, of course, update on how the family's doing, how the kids are doing. If I get off in time, which is, Hasn't been very often, but I try to face t- uh, not f- yeah FaceTime with the kids. But at the very least, I've been trying to send little Marco Polo videos early in the morning when I'm walking into into work to say good morning and try to get the kids to be more cooperative to Karen, <laughs> make her life a little bit easier, you know. Anyway, I'm rambling, and I think that should be about it for the week. So, as usual, we um, we do the podcast on it's hosted and distributed to all the major podcasting places. So if you use Spotify, you should find our podcast MedFamily on Spotify. Same with Amazon and Apple Podcast. Uh, our real social media section is uh, MedFamilyMD. Um, and that's on Instagram, MedFamilyMD. we happy to take on questions or whatever you got. We're happy to do... You know, answer it or have a podcast that kind of features it. I'm sorry for not having Karen on. I know she's a little bit more interesting of a person that has a, a definitely unique perspective and, you know, part of med family is having the family and Karen is one that makes the family work right now. So um, we'll try to get her back on here soon. But anyway, you guys have a good rest of your week. I'll talk to you later. Bye.